Welcome back to the Discovering Forestry podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Corey Lofi, alongside the star of the show, Mr. Joe Aitken, here for another compelling conversation about trees. And tonight we have some special guests. But Joe, first off, how are you doing? How, how, is, how is Joe Aitken? You know, I'm good. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. It just seems like it was just yesterday since we talked trees. But uh, anytime you get an opportunity to hang out with you, Corey, and we talk about trees and get excited about some special guests tonight and go back and go back in time. It's almost like the movies uh, Back to the Future. Oh, yeah. So we're going to get a chance to go back. Um, there's not very often that we get a chance to talk to some old school tree guys uh, like myself, because, you know, our demographics on the podcast may be a little bit younger, but we have to realize that this industry started somewhere. And it's like our guest tonight, you, know, you go back in time, you know, ISA is coming up on their 100th anniversary. So you think about it, there's some pretty cool things happening right now. So um, I'm, I, I said, you know, me in history and how excited I am about tonight. So I'm not going to keep blabbing anymore. I'm just going to say, uh, Corey, let's introduce our guests and let's talk, let's talk trees and tree care companies and what we did in the past, what we're doing today in the future and what can we bring back that we should have never got rid of? I, I agree, Joe. When you talk about ISA celebrating 100 years, I know our guests and the company that they're a big part of uh, is well over 100, I think 103, 104 now. But we'll, we'll, we'll save those questions for them. But without any further ado, I, I would like to welcome Mike and Jake from Vanieres Tree Company out of Virginia to the podcast. So, Mike, Jake, welcome to the podcast. Gentlemen, how are you? We're doing great, and it's good to be with you. Uh, Jake has introduced me to your podcast. I didn't know about it, uh, being a dinosaur, but now... Uh, he didn't know what podcasts were. I had to introduce <laughs> him to that as well. That's all right. Back in the game and, uh, and here to play. Okay, well, Perfect. let's let's start it off with... with a, we'll start it off with a bunt. We'll start it off with an easy one. Tell okay. us about your business. How old is it? Who started it? Uh, tell us about it. All right, let me give you the uh, the backstory, and it starts in 1907 or 8, when my grandfather, George, went to work for Davy Tree Company in Kent, Ohio. He was from Sharon, Pennsylvania. Uh, he was a proud owner of a sixth grade education, <laughs> and uh, he worked with Davy up until World War I, when he went to war in the forestry division, came back with his bride, war bride, Marcel, in yeah. 1918 or 19, and started the company in 1919. Um, so George built the business up, uh, particularly in the 30s during the Depression. And uh, John Hickey recalls, who also is from Long Island, that my grandfather had uh, 200 employees during his heyday in the 30s. And wow. his, uh, as we, we may have mentioned before, tree surgery was cavity work on wealthy properties with old geriatric trees trying to preserve them as long as possible. And at that point, uh, they didn't climb, they built scaffolds all the way up in the trees so that they could work on the cavities. And, uh, my grandfather's invention was using flexible material to fill the cavities. And that was his pitch 
and he was very successful uh, in, uh, in doing the cavity work. And in the early 20s, uh, he was called to compete for restoring the trees at Monticello, um, amongst other places up and down the East Coast. But Monticello is in our hometown, so it rings true. Uh, his, I looked up, this was years ago, I looked up the original contract. And if you converted those numbers into today's dollars, he was getting paid at least $100,000 a tree to restore those trees. What? And John Hickey said he was the only rich tree man he knew, which ain't true. <laughs> but, <No. laughs> but he did retire in his early, in his early 50s. And uh, he helped my dad start a new company here in Charlottesville from Westbury, Long Island in 1949. Uh, so in 1949, my grandfather was essentially retired um, and he bought a place in Cooperstown, New York, where, uh, where he spent his retirement after uh, a couple of years here in Charlottesville getting the, uh, the new franchise started. Now, you might also be interested to know that in the 30s, George had in Cooperstown, New York, a tree surgery school in which uh, 36 students could attend. And he also had a tree surgery school in Florida. Uh, so uh, these supposedly 200 guys, I, I wish I could be accurate with the, with the history, but all of the history burned up on Long Island. And so we have to piece together the story. So that's 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 as I that's 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 the backstory. But basically, so, so this isn't three generations. This is four generations deep. Yeah, fourth generation. Yeah. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah. In a simplified version, basically, what happened was Monticello put out this um, big RFP. So Monticello is Thomas Jefferson's um, estate in Charlottesville. Monticello had all these hollow trees. Um, on the lawn of the campus. And so they put out an RFP to all these um, tree companies up and down the Eastern seaboard and said, you know, what would you do with these trees? So it came back at the time, every tree company said, we're gonna fill them with concrete, which was, that was what everybody was doing back in the day. So George, he had this, his own invention, which he had patented, which was filling it instead of concrete, was filling it with wood cork. So he proposed this new idea and Monticello at the time said, we don't know who Van Yeri's tree service, that's what it was back then, is, but that is a very interesting idea. We'll go with him. So basically about a hundred years later, we're still here because of that one idea. So it's pretty that's amazing. And that's, that's what built the, the business uh, from Maine to Florida uh, is my grandfather selling this idea of uh, kind of a, a more living cavity rather than a rigid one. Because trees well, are not even rigid. How many times have you? How many times have you taken a tree down and not realized there was concrete in the middle of it and wrecked up chainsaw? <laughs> <laughs> We've all had that yeah, experience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I can see just even if it had ever had to be removed, having a softer core to for help with felling a tree would be monumental. Because I couldn't tell you how chainsaws or chains I destroyed. Not oh man. Something in there. And the worst thing is, worst thing is a brick. 
because you don't feel it as much as concrete. And boy, oh boy, <laughs> does, does that dull a chain. So in, in any case, um, the cork and later the rubber was the surface on which the, uh, the, the, the tissue could heal and callus over. But behind that was paraffin, which was pumped in to fill the cavity instead of concrete. So the whole system was flexible. And uh, scientifically, we now know that that was complete nonsense, but it saved the day. Yeah. You know what I was thinking? I don't think it is nonsense. And maybe there's something that we should bring back because if you think about in the Midwest, oak wilt is huge and we have to, we have to, we have to paint the cuts if you have to cut it during a, a, the wrong time, if something happens. What if that was a peel and stick? Yeah. Yeah. It should be a lot better than painting cuts. Well, when I was growing up as a young man in the, in the tree business, we had a, uh, uh, a my father's partner was a uh, very hard charging, very accomplished um, uh, arborist named Jimmy Quarles. And he was part black and part Indian. And the uh, rite of passage he had to go through with our Harley Davidson driving crew was remarkable. Mm. Uh, anyway, Jimmy became the head guy and he trained me. And on more than one occasion, I would get down out of a tree and he would point out what was called a shiner, an unpainted cut. Anything yeah. bigger than a quarter had to get painted and send, my, send me back up in the tree to fix that shiner. He did that to everybody. Now, that was back when he had a paint can. The old paint, paint can. can. And, and, and when you made pole saw cuts, you, you put a brush on the end of the pole saw and painted the, the cut. Yeah, you can a pole printer. You can pull a pole printer, kind of bypass down a little bit and it would hold it. Yeah, and yeah. You, that would take forever. Oh, but yeah. You, you had to. It took forever. But it was, it was, and, and remember then too, we were admonished to always make flush cuts. Oh, sure. See, Shigo hasn't hadn't risen by then. So, <laughs> so this was before that 1980s where we talk about that branch bark ridge and collar. So some of our listeners might might just be putting this together right now. Okay, okay. So me and my dad, way back in the day, I think we went to the first Shigo uh, uh, seminar in New Hampshire, where we dissected trees and he uh, he performed his magic or well, introduced Mitch. Mitch. Was it so? George was the first. So George was the founder. Sure, George. George was your okay. Sure. So George, my great grandfather. This is Mike, my dad's. That's his grandfather. So George was he was the innovator, and he started the company, and he had all these different patents. And then later, after he had won the Monticello job in Charlottesville, uh, Mitch, who's my grandfather, who's my dad's father, he came down to run the shop in Charlottesville. Um, and so after, so then he took over the company and then the company kind of transitioned down to Charlottesville. And then Mitch was also, Mitch became a politician as, and also an arborist at the same time. So he was fighting kind of in Charlottesville for trees and tr tree preservation. Wow. Um, and it was mainly because of George is, you know, his foundations of always being an innovator and trying to think of how to do things better has kind of always been in our fabric is keep on pushing, see what we can do to be more efficient, to be better to, you know, in, in terms of the whole industry. So can we cuss on this podcast? 
you, sir, are welcome to <laughs> do you so what you want. Yeah. Filter it out if you want to. You were about to cuss earlier. I saw you. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've earned the right, I think. You know, I think you, you have earned the right. Do you guys know Bob Felix? I, I know his sons. Yeah. Uh, anyway, anyway, Bob was head of the what was it called before the uh, the National Arborist Association? Yeah. NAA. Yes, NAA. yes. NAA. Bob, Bob was ahead of that, and Bob, when my father got into politics, Bob tried to recruit him to help lobby for uh, uh, um, anti being being uh, anti regulation um, with pesticides and 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 this stuff we used. And my father read Rachel Carson's book and became an overnight environmentalist. Silent Spring, sure. Uh, and so Bob, I was there, Bob and Mitch were talking at a conference. And Bob said, we got to do something to stop these goddamn environmentalists. And Mitch said, God damn it, Bob, we are like goddamn environmentalists. <laughs> Yeah, we're taking care of trees for a living. <laughs> what what year oh. was that? What year was that? Do you oh, think? that was that was probably in the seventies. And then sure. and then probably. Huh? I think Rachel Carson's book came out in 60, 64, 60, 60, 63, 64, 65. Yeah, wow. I got it downstairs. Um, so as soon after that, so I think the early seventies is a good guess. Wow. Yeah, things were changing. Peace, love, dope. You know, they, <laughs> life was different. Let's not get I, into that. And then uh, <laughs> it wasn't a bad time, but we kind of moved on. They <laughs> um, like said I got my break in the history of Arbor College because I worked for the Irish company. Yeah. It, Chaz Irish was the first executive director of the NAA. And Chaz Irish had a bunch of before, before Bob Felix. Oh, yeah. It was 1932 when Chaz Irish. He was the very first president of the NAA. And um, he had a lot of patents in the tree industry. I have some of his Irish arrow furt guns that were very similar to the, um, oh my God, what was the soil one that blew up the soil and shot you in the air? The grow gun. No, that fractured it. And he stood on his big plate and you hit it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You jumped off the ground. I got a couple of those from Michigan State, but I also have uh, Chaz Irish uh, patented a tree ball cart. It was a two-piece thing. It was on iron wheels, horse drawn. Yeah, I have the original yeah. one for the museum. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So when um, Chuck Irish died in a car accident, I was real friends with the family, and they donated like a lot of the pictures and a lot of the original equipment that were were being patented in the early 1900s we have for the museum crazy. So, we have got to get you some samples uh some pieces of that rubber um uh cavity filling for your museum it's important yeah, frame with the patent and everything yeah with the, whole, the company so when it goes and gets hung on the wall in the museum the name of the company and everything's in there well the other the thing we can't supply you with is the original uh time released soil capsule that my grandfather invented uh, that then became uh, morphed into the Job tree spikes. Get out, really? Get out of here. Wait, and he, he it was made out of burlap and various kinds of fertilizer and, and, and compost, and it was time-released, um, so it would 
quote, feed the tree for a year or so. Over a long period of time, it would dissolve. Long period of time, slow release. Oh my God, that's awesome. The original tree spider. This guy had a sixth grade education. He was, he was scratching his head all the time. Well, you know what? You look at today, and no disrespect to anybody that went to college, how many times do you actually go to college and end up with a career and the degree that you went there for? So there's a lot of. Yeah. And you know, how, how often do you use that, the degree that you went there for in your professional career day to day? Yeah, I'm I was like, history and religion, man. I'm using it every day. Oh, shit. I was in the Marine Corps. I'm fighting every day, too. That's true. <laughs> it's a battle out there. But no, that's exciting that fourth generation. So we kind of got a chance to talk about the history. Believe me, I can talk about the history all night. Yeah. You still take care of Monticello? Does the country do something there? You know what? Conveniently, we're going there tomorrow. Are you really? Try the try the wine. They, they've got a real good white. <laughs> oh yeah, real good Chardonnay. <laughs> yeah, so, actually, we haven't we haven't been there for years. Um, but we are just um, we've been doing some plant healthcare stuff with them. We did that last year, and then uh, we're going back to do some tree work actually tomorrow. Over the years, over the last. Uh, decaders or more, they've been pretty price sensitive. And those uh, historic $100,000 fees per tree uh, was a thing of the past. <laughs> Are any of those trees survivors? Yes. So some of the trees that your grandfather worked on are still on site? One or two. Um, the one tulip poplar that my grandfather claimed was not original, I think he's wrong. Uh, <laughs> was taken down about 10 years ago, uh, huge tree. It's companion on the other side of, uh, uh, symmetrical on the other side of the, uh, the mansion is still there. The elm tree is, the original elm tree is of course gone. Uh, the original uh, European beech is gone. Uh, Just say how many. <laughs> maybe one or two of the original seven is still there. Amazing. Okay, well, something's still there. So yeah. it must have worked to a certain degree. It's still there. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do know that the the the, uh, the big tulip poplars uh, were were consistently crown reduced, which um, uh, meant that and and lightning protected. So when a hurricane came along, we were pretty damn confident that those trees were fine. Uh, even though they were on the top of the hill and exposed as much as they were due to good arboriculture practices. Okay. So powdered back for all those years. All right. So what are you going there for now? What do you want? What do you guys, what's, what's the plan tomorrow? I don't know. Jake's in charge yeah. of that. Now tomorrow, um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty big job. I think it's a couple of days. So I think we have some, uh, it's a bit of structural pruning. So a lot of young trees. Um, I don't think it's too many big pruning. It's a lot of uh, small ornamental trees. Uh, I think we have one. I actually don't think it's any takedowns. Um, so it's all pruning. Um, I'm pretty sure. So it's probably the next, we might get it all done tomorrow. We're sending a pretty big crew. So, um, we're kind of rolling out Vanier Street Company heavy there. <laughs> That's awesome. So what's the future hold? You know, obviously four generations. Now everybody sees it different. 
um, you know, you got all the horror stories about the third or fourth generation. You know, it, 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 and I'm not saying it's going to happen. You know, it crashes, the company goes to shit. Um, what do you see? You know, you're a young man. You got you got 30, 40 years to go. You know, what's going to happen? Yeah, well, I, I mean, it's kind of like this is basically this is the future. I'm holding the telephone. Yeah. Um, but basically what I was telling my dad before we got on here is in this telephone, I know pretty much what we have, the technology we have for our company is I know more about our company at any second than probably he or Mitch ever did probably looking at all the files for about 20 years, just because we have, we've been, it's pretty cool. Like what we've been able to do with our technology is like, you know, um, and we even have like, we've really, and this is, it's a big credit to everyone that's came before us, but tree inventories. Um, we are, so we have our own kind of, it's, it's very customized for us. And so my dad actually, um, he was a landscape architect with my mom while he was running the tree company. And so he, they developed this kind of ranking system for, you know, you, big tree inventories. It's like, it's kind of hard to digest for people who don't know trees. And so they developed this really unique and um, approachable, I would say, um, ranking system for tree inventories um, that you can present to like a college board or something like that. And so we've taken that and we've implemented it in our digital inventories. So in our, but now they're digital. So like, you know, they're all in the palm of my fist. And so that's just one component, but we have this big, um, one of our biggest clients is Hollywood Cemetery in Richmond. And they were about probably 10 years ago, they were voted one of the most beautiful cemeteries in America. And in our palm, we have anything that's ever been done to any one of those trees, we have a file on them and you can click and you can see anything about it. Um, and so we've, so that's just one component that, you know, that we have now that's kind of the future, of, you know, where this company is going. But it's always on kind of standing on the shoulders of what's come before us, because George, way back in the day, he had tons of patents. So it's kind of it makes. So my sister and I, we own the company, Shanna, and it, it really makes us kind of stay on our toes. Like we need to keep innovating, keep getting better and better. Um, so the, the inventory is, you know, one thing, um, but even just um, the numbers of the company, um, we have it all in our pockets. You know, I can tell you at any point of the day where our trucks are. I can tell you how much fuel's in our trucks. I can tell you the financials of our company at any second. Um, so it's pretty cool to see what, you know, the technology that we have right now and hopefully where it can keep going. Yeah, I, 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 I can respect technology and there's a need for it. But, and I'm sure your dad can attest this, back in the day, when you rolled out of the yard, man, nobody knew where you were at. Yeah, was, exactly. <laughs> you went out there, you did your job, you rolled in. If you had to go sit in the parking lot down at Kmart for an hour before you came in, it was, there was no way. Um, so I kind of missed some of that. Some of the, there was an opportunity to escape. You can't do it anymore. That's no. Sure. Well, that, that brings to mind when I was in college, I worked for a, a, a tree guy there. And uh, one of our jobs during the winter was to take down dying sugar maples along secondary highways. And 
my boss and the uh, supervisor for the highways came by and uh, we had taken down three trees and were on target to take down 10 for the day. And they said to me, Mike, the contract calls for three trees a day. I said, well, we, we can do 10 today and I'm sure we can get up to 15 before. No, 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 we want three trees a day. <laughs> and they said, no, three trees a day. And I said, well, shit, we'll be done by 10 o'clock. And they said, that's fine. Uh, and we said, well, we'll just find a bar. And then they said, make sure you park behind the bar. <laughs> well, because okay, you're a little different back in the day. But uh, no, I think, you know, because we had a lot, a lot of our guests talk about um, not only uh, IT and intelligence, but the equipment. You know, yeah, we still use chainsaws, handsaws. Um, climbing is still pretty much the same, but the equipment they've used in the rope and saddles are all different. Um, but they're more me mechanized yeah. is another big thing. I asked the guy the other day uh, if he had a ball cart. And the guy looked at me and I said, what the F is a ball cart? That's I'm a like, ball cart. <laughs> you know what a ball? That's how we move logs. Not everybody had a mini lift, man. You, you humped them and if you needed two guys to, to get it in the back of the truck, you did that. It's we, so, well, my dad's. This was a game changer. What do you got? A oh, gas powered chainsaw? Yeah, Minimac. That was, yeah. that was a game changer. It went from XL12 to this saw here, which was so temperamental, uh, but it changed the game. Yeah, I have. Uh, I actually have the 1959 steel Contra. It was uh, for one of my contacts sent to me from Germany, and that was when Andreas still put the reed valves in there so you could operate the saw upside down in 59. So I actually have one of the original saws for the museum, but... You know, you're right. The 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 two well, the two man saws that back in the day, back in the 40s when they came back from World War II, they loved them so much they find ways to pull them up in the tree because they didn't want to use a handsaw anymore. So they put one on the handle and one on the, the, the motor, and you had to run it up there and you had this big thing swinging on a half inch bull rope or a inch bull rope up in a canopy. I did that personally with a DA211. Yeah. And, and you're still here. Spot. You're still here. Yeah, barely. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> barely hanging in there. But I, um, I, because of my love of the industry, I got back more into pre-industrial age, uh, two-man buck saws. I love the axes and the, uh, the evolution of the axe and uh, the heyday of Michigan when uh, in the 1840s when white pine was gold. In a lot of the tools back then. Um, so I go to the climbing comps. I was the Michigan chair for MTCC. And we'll set up a, a, a two-man bucksaw rack and let these guys that complain about what they do for a day, check mm -hmm. it out how we used to do it. Mm -hmm. so, well, if that saw was sharp, it was magic. But you know what? How many people still don't want to sharpen them? Oh, how many people in the world can sharpen one right now? And sway wow. and do everything else. So I, I got all the tools. I got two of them I got here that I'm, I'm sharpening right now that aren't that bad. But um, I'm trying to, you know, we talk about evolution. I'm trying to, because there's a, a 10, 11, 14, and 15 degree uh, cant on the teeth. Right. So I'm trying to make an anvil that has that, gr that grind on the anvil on all four sides. 
So depending on what I'm sharpening the saw for, I got a big steel table. I can magnet that down. I can put that underneath the tooth and tap it to that. Mm -hmm. So I'm working on it to make it easier. Um, I even tune Michigan State University's uh, saw that they compete in conclave. So having an opportunity to see how everything started off to weigh what we're at now is just amazing. It's remarkable. Yeah, Corey laughing in the background. He ain't ever picking one of the old misery whips up and giving it a go. No, no <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm just, and I'm laughing. And I know, I know that the the final countdown has begun. So we'll kind of we'll kind of ask that that final concluding question, the all-encompassing question. And we'll let either Jake or Mike just take your turn with it. We got, you know, just a couple minutes here before it kicks us off. Yep. And that, that question would be, as, you, as you're looking out, maybe looking at a younger you or looking at, at somebody who's just getting into forestry or arboriculture, what piece of advice would you give them? So whoever wants to tackle it first, go for it. And then we'll just pass it and uh, button, it, button it up. Well, I would like to, I've, I've heard you ask this question. And um, I would actually like to answer it from a perspective of someone who doesn't know anything about arboriculture. Perfect. Um, because for me, I was around it my whole life. Um, and so I was fortunate to be able to see it. But I was also, um, I've been an athlete all my life. And that's really what drew me to arboriculture. And I remember when I was in sixth grade and the teacher said, all right, everyone take out a piece of notebook paper. And they say, write on that notebook paper, what you want to be in life. And every single guy in the class said, I want to be a professional athlete. And what I don't think a lot of kids realize is this arboriculture is the closest thing to being a professional athlete you can possibly get. And I think if more kids knew that, and Joe, I've heard you talk about like, you know, people need to get into the trees and climb and that's how you get them into this industry. And I think I, think is completely correct if more kids knew how athletic this was more kids would be so drawn to this so that is kind of a little bit of my goal is to kind of introduce that and you know relate the sports aspect to it i hope you're right and i think that's a great point thank you but i hope you're right that the next generation does want to get dirty and does want to try it and does want to pursue a field of arboriculture or forestry because i think it's it's wonderful what about you, Mike? Picking up on that, um, years ago, as you know, in arboriculture, finding qualified help um, has always been a challenge, and it is today. So kids who are familiar with and comfortable with hard work are a rarity, but they're absolutely a necessity. Years ago, I went to all the uh, surrounding high schools, to the guidance counselors, to promote the idea of finding kids who were good athletes, but um, uh, were probably not going to college. And I found them to be almost zero responsive. Then I went to coaches, terrifically responsive, because they, to me, they were more interested in the welfare of the kids and the guidance counselors were more interested in the welfare of the college-bound kids. Uh, that's sort of the moral of the story. Huh. You, know what's, you know, that's a great point because I see so many... Like, like some of the national accounts, the international companies hitting the colleges up all the time. And don't get me wrong, having leaders uh, is huge. It's important. But that's a small percentage of the industry. Absolutely. It's done on the ground. It's done in the backyard. Um, it's done on a rope, you know, eight foot up in the tree. So you're right. I think 
That's a great point. That's you need. We're looking in the wrong spot, I think, most of the time to find someone that's willing to do it. Like I said, I was brought up um, working on a family farm, running a saw. My dad was a handyman. He did tree work. I, I did tree work with him before I even knew it was a job. And I loved it. And I loved chainsaws from when I was 14. So I got, what's that, 14, 44 years later, I'm still running chainsaws and I still love it. Um, but I got bit early and, I, and I'm going to probably croak underneath a tree somewhere. And uh, that's where I need to be. That, that's that's funny. And it's interesting talking to uh, the Vanieri's company because I got my first introduction to climbing trees, tulip popples, in Richmond, Virginia, working with Billy Davis and uh, Jason Anderson up there at uh, ArborCare, Arborscape. So that that's it's it's all coming full circle and we're all we're all so connected and you know i can truly say from the bottom of my heart and in just the the 10 or 15 years i've been in this industry you know the impact that our future um or that our past generations have had on us and what we're going to have on our future it's just you know thank you you know to mike to to the family that came before you to jake for taking it over you know thank you for giving back and taking the time to, to talk with us on this podcast it, it's amazing it really is so. well you guys are doing a great job and thank you for what you do and uh i'm glad as an old timer to be introduced to uh this podcast and i'll i'll be a faithful subscriber forever oh you're awesome yeah, yeah thanks we're coming up on a hundred straight episodes oh well, I got a lot of catching up to do. Yeah. yeah. 91, Corey? To, to, this will be the 91st, but it feels like a lot more, Joe. Hey, great topic today. Yes, yeah, so lots of good information. Yeah, probably one of our best yet. If you enjoyed the podcast or have topics you would like to discuss, please send them to discoveringforestry at gmail.com. And please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. Thanks, guys, uh, for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Joe. And I'm Corey. Signing, Signing out. out.